Neighborhood Church. To find out more about who we are, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. My name is Dietrich Winter, and uh, oh, I haven't had the uh, privilege or opportunity to to share for a couple of years. Um, of course, last year happened, or the last year and a half, and um, and then it's been a while before that. So, for those you don't don't know me, again, uh, my name is Dietrich, and. Uh, uh, I, I used to share periodically here and to usually do a sermon series in the summer while Chris was on vacation. And uh, it's always a, a huge privilege and honor. But I also feel all of my uh, insecurities coming up and uh, doubts about myself. I haven't spoke publicly for so long. And um, in the last two years, a lot of things have happened in, in our lives, in our world, in our community, in our uh, faith community. So... Uh, um, I, I like to preface that I don't have everything figured out. <laughs> oh, I thought that was Anwin. <laughs> I don't. Um, I, I used to, uh, you know, speak and teach periodically under someone who'd say, you know, never admit that you don't have it all figured out. People come to hear an expert. Um, and I, I didn't agree with it then, and I, I still don't think that way. It's like, we're all sharing kind of our stories and where we're at in our journeys and learning from each other. And the last thing we need is someone who thinks they've got it all perfectly figured out. So uh, my biggest fear is that this is like my last Twitter exchange. Um, I kind of, I just, I, I'm like a Twitter lurker. I just kind of watch things. I look for things funny and make me laugh. Um, you know, like things that I care about and retweet things. And, um, so I'm never commenting or, or posting things myself. And, and then recently, well, that's actually probably like a month ago, I, put, I, I did comment on something I was, I was pretty passionate about, about uh, employment law and employee, caring for employees and, and rights. And uh, uh, I was just adding to the conversation. And someone responded to me with a comment that was like, I don't know if they really hadn't thought about the context or read things, and but they came from their point of view and, and kind of misread me, and I'm like, oh, that that was really weird. Yeah, uh, it's like not trying to get my affirmation from Twitter, but like whatever, I'm gonna ignore that. But the next time I look at Twitter, they had like 114 likes. I'm like, okay, people are piling on. <laughs> it's like it's like okay, um, so. All I ask is, you know, give me the benefit of the doubt. I mean well. So, and uh, I, I haven't been on Twitter since then. I'm like, you know, this is not adding anything to my life. So, I mean, my wife, I, I decided to take a break from Twitter. So, um, I actually love doing, like, teaching and, like, more uh, expository sermons, going through certain passages of the Bible. I have had, you know, went to Bible college at North Central University and was a pastor for uh, a long while. And uh, I really dig that. And um, I'm hoping to do some teaching down the road. 
but Chris was talking to me about like just sharing more of who I am and my story and my journey and uh, what's valuable from that or I, what I can offer. And uh, I don't know if there's anything unique to me. Um, uh, a lot of people share their stories who are similar to me. But uh, I, what I've got me thinking about, you know, who am I? And what makes my approach to faith and our, our church community um, pretty unique or, or, or different? Or what, what makes me tick? Who am I? And because um, uh, I'm pretty chill. You know, I don't really get worked up about things. I kind of go with the flow. Um, you know, I can sit in a room with people who think very differently than me and, and be okay. And I'm like, wh where does this approach to our faith, my faith come from? And thinking back, it might, you know, maybe my years of ministry, but I think even before that, it could be some from my education and getting to spend, you know, time in a Bible college where you're just immersed in Bible and, and thought and thinking and great uh, Christian leaders. But back before that, uh, you know, I have an amazing person, uh, a partner as a spouse who has pushed me and sharpened me at my thinking. And so there's a lot to that, too. I'm trying not to look at Sarah. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. Um, you know, or my faith, first faith community as a teenager had a huge influence on me. But for me, a, the biggest thing that's, like, that has become value to, valuable to me now that I'm, like, in my mid-40s, was my early years as just a completely complete space cadet of a kid, spending all my time wandering through the woods, just daydreaming about Star Wars. Like, that was my childhood. I was such a space cadet. I was oblivious to everything that went on around me. Um, I was so clueless. Like, I went to school, but, like, I don't, like, remember, like... I'd be in school, I'm like, why am I here? I'd spend all my time thinking and daydreaming about Star Wars. I mean, you take a mechanical pencil and a big pen, you've got an Imperial Star Cruiser and a Rebel Cruiser, and they're battling it out. And I'm just like in my own world all day long. Never did any schoolwork, never did any homework. I was constantly in trouble, but I didn't realize it. That's how I was just in my own world. Quick story about that, I, I love to tell. In second grade, this really, my second grade teacher just had had it with me not doing my math homework. Um, I was oblivious to that. So <laughs> I'm sure she's a great teacher in other ways. But she thought the solution was to put me in this like little cubicle in the back of the room. Like I had three walls and I couldn't see anyone else in the class. That way I, I could do nothing but my math homework. So, and I had no idea I was there. Just suddenly, she walked me back there and sat me down. And I'm like, okay, all right. And there's a math workbook on the desk. And I spent weeks there. And uh, um, did it help my math? Well, no, because <laughs> unbeknownst to me, there was like another kid back there. There was a kid I didn't know was in our grade. Like, suddenly, I'm there one day, and this kid, Lauren, like, looks around the edge like, hey, <laughs> you're back here too. And I'm like, who are you? <laughs> it's like he had been held back the year before, and she, he'd been back in that cubicle area from day one, so to help him focus. And like, did this work for him? No. In fact, Lauren took interest in me trying to do my math. I was looking at my math workbook. He's like, oh, I'll show you how, what I, how I do my math. And he grabs his math workbook and just starts tearing pages out. And he'd crumple up them in balls, and he'd go, and he'd fling them over the top of the cubicle into the rest of the classroom. And I'm like, it... I don't know how I ever got out of there, but it definitely didn't work. <laughs> so a total space cadet. And I grew up um, 
completely oblivious to things of faith, matters of religion. I had parents who um, we didn't go to church, uh, didn't teach anything about church. Uh, my parents had had some experiences with faith, you know, in their earlier years that they decided that wasn't going to be part of their life. And there was something about this learning. I had an amazing mother who taught me what it meant to care for people, uh, to love people. She was truly a good and beautiful person to teach, learning what it looked like to be good apart from dogma. And I got to go through this amazing life where uh, I'm apart from that. And there's benefits to, um, you know, growing up in a great tradition and faith formation, but I also got to miss some of the baggage. And it meant that when I did encounter a faith community, I was free to, like, question things. I'd ask questions other people aren't asking. I could um, even live with some differences of thinking because I'm like, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> but it was uh, a great thing to have that upbringing where I could have kind of my own independent thought about things. Now, of course, I, you know, as a teenager, I thought I knew it all. But, you know, I, it allowed me to learn things as I went along. And then I had my first faith community, uh, TLC, Teens Leaving for Christ, in Florida, Minnesota. And, uh, you know, I got on the bus one day, and this girl singing a song about fruit. You know, uh, I like papayas and mangoes are sweet. I like bananas, but nothing can beat the sweet love of God. Doo-wop, doo-wop. It was like a doo-wop song. Yeah, totally serious. And uh, <laughs> that, that experience summed up the entire faith community for me. It was like we gathered. It was community. It was fun. There we'd worship. And there was a lot of nonsense to it. <laughs> like, what? Fruit? You know, but there was something beautiful and good to that and pure, even though, like, you know, you know some of the things we sang, like, made zero sense. But it was a community where faith was... It was simple. We, we just showed up, and you experienced. And again, I was kind of like, I didn't, you know, I got there because someone invited me, but wasn't thinking through and having the right thoughts and thinking. Like, I just went there to participate and worship and experience singing as a group, and then these people cared for each other and accepted each other and were invited in. But then as I got older, you know, it did start to add some structure to my thinking. You know, I started to waken up in high school and uh, start learning, and I got involved in, like, more uh, conservative Christianity, and people are teaching me things. And as an idealistic teenager, I wanted to, like, figure out the world, and, and this made things make sense. Like, there was an answer, maybe trite, but there was an answer, it seemed like, for everything. If I could, you know, if everybody believed this, and everybody got their thinking fixed, Man, it, it, it would solve all the world's problems. You know, if we could all just get thinking the right things. And I became very passionate about it. I'm very rigid. I, rigid. I, I, like, the key was to learn all the right answers to all the questions and, and get all those things figured out. And I needed to get everyone along with me, right? And I became very passionate about this. I mean, very passionate. You know, Chris talks about mime. I was in, doing human videos, you know, um, I, it, was a, it was a real high point of my, my teenage years when I got to be Jesus and like the, you know, I think it's Keith Green has like Behold the Lamb song or something like that and like reenacting uh, the crucifixion of Jesus and I, I had the facial expressions like, ah, you know, just perfect and, you know, forgive them for they not, know, not what they do and like 
which really we have a God that is worthy of emulation. Like um, he's, uh, God is good and beautiful and um, worthy of worship and our attention. Um, but in hindsight, I, I've often thought about it. it's odd that my emulation of, of God and, and that way of life needed a soundtrack, you know? <laughs> it's like that was the way I was communicating this good and beautiful thing I found. It was because I think in my ordinary life, everyday life, it was a lot about thinking right and getting people to think right. So this started to impact my conversations with my mom. So I remember really strongly, like, when it comes to turning points in my thinking, I have this very vivid recollection of an evening talking with my mom. My mom owned her own business. Um, she worked the nights so that she wouldn't get bothered doing paperwork. And, but it was great because every night, no matter how late I came home as a teenager, she was there and available to talk with. So uh, we had so many conversations. Like, just sit down, you know, she asked how things are going, maybe I had questions. Um, she was an amazing mom. And then uh, I started to, to, to like, you know what, I need to get my mom on the right page with this stuff. To get her thinking right, to believe the right things. We gotta check off these, these check boxes. And um, I really started pushing things and pushing on, um, hey, if you, you haven't said the right words, you haven't said the sinner's prayer in particular, like, people are going to hell. And it was very black and white for me. And, and I really, at this point, did not understand my mom's faith history and what she believed or anything. Like, it was kind of like it's a non-subject in our family. So, and I, I push on this harder and harder, and I remember this conversation very vividly. And then, but for the first time, my mom kind of turned around and started kind of grilling me and asking questions in a kind, motherly way. It's like, so Dietrich, if someone's never heard about Jesus, you're saying they're going to hell. It's like, yeah, and I, I just kept doubling down because it was like I needed to like box her in so she had no choice but to accept this and think right and, and say this prayer. And she kept getting more and more specific. And it's like, well, what about kids? What about kids? And my, my thinking as, an, as a teenager wasn't very nuanced. I just needed her trapped mentally so she would, she would say the right things. And then she decided to share something with me she'd never shared before. Because um, I talked about, like, yeah, may, we don't know about kids. Maybe kids are going to hell, too, if they, don't, they haven't said the right words, right? That's, that was, it was, it sounds crazy now when I say it out loud. And, but I just kept doubling down. I was a young, and she's like, you know, Dietrich, you know, uh, you had a sister who, who you've never, we've never talked about. Uh, my mom had a daughter named Renee. And uh, uh, before my brother, my twin brother and I were born, and when she's about uh, 18 months old, she, she unexpectedly died. And uh, in the middle of this storm of grief and pain, she, the faith community they were part of, she had a minister come talk to her about, you know, Sherry, you guys need to get your life together. You don't want to end up going to hell like your daughter did because she never knew Jesus. The most insane, painful thing I've ever heard anyone talk about. And it took that, that like stopped me in my tracks as a teenager. And I remember it, like, I didn't know how to respond. Like, I am somehow on the wrong side of this, and I'm part of an old pain. And, I, and as a teenager, I didn't even know how to process it. Like, I knew that something was wrong with this thinking. 
So it, the, for the first time, I started to think about how it was necessary to, to reevaluate some of the things that I was taking in. And I decided there was some things I disagreed with. And I would encounter more and more of these things that the faith community I was in, I was different. So in a camp, you know, Bible college, even Bible quiz, and I got into Bible quiz as a teenager, I'd be learning and memorizing scripture, and I'd be like, oh, that, that, that is very different than what I'm hearing over here from this community. It's like, like, okay, but if I want to participate in this community, I can live with what I'm going to call like communal cognitive dissonance. Like we can have people with different beliefs and kind of get along. Right, so I could still be part of this community, still uh, participate in this faith community, but also disagree. And some of you might be getting ahead of me and thinking about how that's not always healthy, which we'll get to there. <laughs> so, um, but it was something necessary. In fact, I encourage encounter it more and more as I got into Bible college. I'd find things where I disagree with the denomination I was part of, but you know what? It's like we can get along. You know, I was part of a denomination that had a lot of certain no-nos, like you don't don't drink, dance, gamble, and I'm like, Jesus drank wine. You know, <laughs> some of these things in our community where we're, we openly talk about were not talked about then. Just kind of went along with the flow. And then something I've never talked about publicly was like as a youth pastor, uh, we were actively in ministry, my wife and I, for. About a decade and a half, and vocationally, and volunteer, and uh, sometimes just had to decide. It's like, okay, for the community to like get along, uh, we're not all going to see eye to eye on every single matter. So we have to just put up with this dissonance between different parties, and just so things get along. And because here's the thing, like it, the tribalism that comes up in thinking and our thoughts and our beliefs. You know, it's natural. That's part of who we are as human beings. Like, we as communities to get along, to be safe. So, like, we're, you know, go back however many years and we're trying to stay safe from the tigers. You know, like, we have to be able to get along enough that we can be part of a group and be healthy and safe and, and, and flourish. Um, and it means, okay, we're going to kind of become one mind as far as our thoughts and our traditions and our beliefs. Uh, but also, this is like 2021, so like we're gonna have different beliefs. We have to like, we can grow and evolve and go beyond that. And uh, um, sometimes I ramble on about this stuff, so I will. <laughs> but that being said, so I became I'm a very strong believer in that the necessity of a community dissonance in our thinking that we don't have to be on the same page with everything. And some of that is the thinking behind our church, that we can be a place for anyone to come and worship and practice. At the same time, you have to think through which things are, are, are healthy and which things are not. You know, we can put up with certain things, but then when it starts to marginalize people or harm people, um, you know, because, and sometimes these things are good and we take them to extremes, you know, uh, I was going to talk about the tortoise and the hare a little bit, you know, but yesterday uh, my wife and I got to go paddle boating and with our two of our daughters, and the daughters are like, we want to be on our own paddle boat because they wanted to be faster than us because they're young and spry. But I noticed the engineering on these boats, 
the rudders were made in such a way they're like governors. They're almost like little scoops. So you couldn't drive these things fast. The harder you paddled, like actually it would create a wave and like work against you. So uh, first of all, I'm old and, and tall, and these things are made for short people. So I was like cramping up and couldn't paddle. So it was just Sarah, and I'm like, I'll just go slow and steady. And, uh, and she noticed that the, it as well, that if she just paddled slow and steady, she could go twice as fast as the girls. And, and you'd hear them paddle super hard. You'd hear, bah, 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 as they're trying to catch up to us. But somehow we just keep pulling away, pulling away. It was classic kind of tourist in the hair. Like, you can have too much of a good thing. A lot of, a lot of things that cause uh, controversy and harm and hurt you know, people with good intentions, you know, well-intentioned dragons, you know, people have good intentions, they want good things, and then they end up burning the house down. It doesn't mean uh, every bad thing, you know, the, you know, has, like, a silver lining to it, but, like, it's more of a cautionary tale to ourselves, like, the things we're passionate about and we care about, being careful that it doesn't take us to a place where we cause harm. You know, it's okay for me to try and figure out the the way the world works and to teach others and to share my thoughts and my beliefs. But I could easily take it to a place place that hurts and harms uh, others. Um, So this is two key key beliefs for me. One is this cognitive dissonance within our communities, but then also the necessity to be intellectually honest. And, uh, you know, because our thoughts, questions, and doubts are rarely mundane or simple. You know, our, our kids, when they're little, sure, they have some hilarious questions that, you know, uh, are fun to think about. But it doesn't take much of life, life, adolescence, young adulthood, for us to start asking, quote, unquote, simple questions that are really complex about life and death, and hurt, and harm, and faith, interpretation, and inspiration. And uh, so simple questions don't exist. They sound simple, but they have complex answers. And as a youth pastor, we dealt with this a lot, where we decided we're going to be intellectually honest. And when students ask us questions, we're going to give them the long, complicated answers. Because rarely do, does life have trite, simple answers. And when I was a teenager, I was memorizing like a book of trite answers that made everything make sense and made faith very black and white. The reality is that doesn't exist. Everything's complex. And at some point in our history in Western Christianity, we stopped teaching the complex nature and beauty of Scripture and community and faith and translation, interpretation, and how they all interact and go together. And, uh, you know, simple questions became a threat. They became threatening. Uh, and, you know, we have things like foundationalism and fundamentalism, conservatism, reformism, uh, you know, just saying, hey, you just have to accept things. But the reality is none of us have all the answers. You know, most likely we haven't asked all the questions. I know the questions I've thought of and thought through I have some good thoughts on them, but I haven't asked all the questions. So be deciding to be intellectually honest and to, to process as a community these complex questions. So where is the core? What is essential to our beliefs? What do we stand on that 
isn't in a gray area of thought. But, and when we talk about gray areas, you know, if, if I have conservative friends I know watching something like this, right then it, like, it brings up tension for them. It feels like a threat. Like, there's no gray areas. I've got the Bible. It's like, well, there's this element of interpretation, translation, faith. Call it faith for a reason. Um, so what is at the core? And this is where I've landed and what I have really been thinking about a lot, especially over the last couple of years. And uh, some of it's not so out there. I mean, it goes really back to issues of the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, and even judgment. <laughs> so let me get there. Stick with me. So we go right to um, Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, where Jesus says, uh, Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, I would love to do a whole expository sermon on this someday, but I don't want us to get totally sidetracked. But I would want to share one thing I just I fell in love with in college because um, I loved biblical languages. And that most sentences in, in English, we turn everything into a finite verb, you know, and we see like four or five things going on there. But there's one main verb in that sentence about the Great Commission, and that is make disciples. And disciples in this context is, you know, it's a rabbi with their followers, and it's people who share life and learn by emulating, without a soundtrack, this God that is good and beautiful and living the way that they did, that they commanded. And how do we do it? We do it by, by actively participating, going, teaching, and including. Say baptizing, and we'll fall in different places on this depending on your, your faith tradition. But for me, baptism is all about inclusion and initiation, like publicly saying, hey, I'm going to be part of this community where we're going to live the way that was taught by Jesus. So, and it's a very you know, public declaration of that, but it's all about coming in to be followers of a way. And, and part of that is the teaching. So what is, what is Jesus saying to teach? You know, like, is it, you got to have the right thinking? No, it's about a way of life. It's about the way that this community lived and, their, you know, and what Jesus taught. And you may think, really? Because Jesus taught a lot of things. If you want, you can just flip back one page. What was Jesus teaching? Um, <laughs> I lost my spot. Oh, here it is. Jesus teaching to this, this same group here in Matthew uh, about the end times, about judgment, about how, how our life boils down in the end. And you had the religious, the people with the right thinking. They, they, were, they were holy. They had all the thought and the, uh, the religious teachings down. And it came time for the judgment of their life. And God is saying, I don't know who you are. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. When I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was in jail and oppressed, you didn't bring you didn't visit, you didn't ease my oppression. And then there was people who knew nothing of God, who showed up, and God's like, hey, yeah, you get me. You're on the right page. You fed the hungry. You gave water to the thirsty. You cared for the foreigner. 
you cared for the oppressed. You saw the hurt in the world, and you went that way. You pressed into that. It was not about right thinking, right words. It was about the practice of a community like this where we can care for each other and all those around us in our community. It goes back to that first faith community that I loved. What I loved about it was that we just just came in, and we invited in, we belonged. Everyone was welcome. And we worshiped together. We cared for others. We see the oppressed and the hurting. So that's for me the, at the core of it. Um, and, and it's freeing because suddenly you realize, wow, we can fall down in all kinds of other places on different subject matters and believe different things, and we can have this in common. But maybe you're someone who's been hurt by well-intentioned or poor intentions. I want to say sorry, you know, on behalf of a tradition that goes back for centuries. You deserve better. You deserve better now. And maybe someone else hasn't apologized to you, but it, let me apologize. No one deserves to be hurt. Maybe you're like me. You come to realize you've hurt people in the past. Um, you had good intentions. It's like, we're not perfect. We're human. And God is working through us. Uh, our humanness rubs off our brokenness. But um, you can make things right. You can move forward in the right direction. Maybe you're uh, dealing with doubt or issues of faith, God, Scripture. You have new questions or old questions. Maybe your old questions are blown off, but questions are good. And the best place for questions is in community with others. And I encourage you to bring them up. Bring them up to Chris, Nikki, uh, myself, others in community. But, the, but most importantly, just know that you belong. They're, you're beautiful and good. I want you to feel welcome. Welcome others. Listen to each other. We can learn from each other. And this is the good and beautiful life that I care about. I'm going to pray and invite Sarah up. She's going to lead us in uh, worshiping together again. Jesus, we thank you so much for the life that you have lived, for your demonstration, what it means to be good and beautiful. We thank you for this community and where you have brought us and where you're taking us. Amen. you guys stand up and sing this last one with me?
for coming y'all and thanks for being part of neighborhood we all really appreciate you so have a good sunday